argument over the debt ceiling continues. UBS names their top picks to counter inflation and what in the world is going on with Disney. This is the Running With The Money podcast. Let's get into it. back. It's a Wednesday evening here. The market's closing pretty mixed um, at the end of the day here with the Dow Jones closing up 90 points. The NASDAQ down 34. S&P 500 up 6 and the rest 2K down 4. So very interesting combination there um, of performances. Now we also had the VIX dropping 2.97%. Now shifting into one of the biggest headlines of the day. The story really running the market at the moment and this is that debt ceiling. Everyone's freaking out about the debt ceiling but we really all know that they're going to eventually raise the debt ceiling somehow, some way, because at the end of the day, they always do. We always get this fear of some giant default, and then it never fucking happens. So at the end of the day, you guys simply need to know um, that in all likelihood, they are going to raise that debt ceiling, um, but we might as well dig into what uh, investors are fearing and what Janet Yellen, our Treasury Secretary, is saying about the issue. Now, Janet Yellen told House Speaker Nancy Pelosi um, actually on Tuesday, that, you know, the debt ceiling, they have three weeks to fix this debt ceiling issue here and to avoid um, economic calamity, unquote. In fact, she said, quote, we now estimate that Treasury is likely to exhaust its extraordinary measures if Congress has not acted to raise or suspend the debt limit by October 18th, Janet Yellen wrote. Um, And then she went on to say that you would expect to see an interest rate spike if the debt ceiling were not raised, I think there would be a financial crisis and a calamity. Absolutely, it's true that the interest payments on government debt would increase. So, not good stuff. If we end up not raising that debt ceiling, then you get a U.S. default, and then a bunch of bad economic stuff happens, a bunch of stuff. It's not good, um, and we don't want it to happen. And the market's kind of fearing that at the moment. But what is currently going on in the U.S. government? Well, we have this infrastructure package that no one has any clue what's going on with. We have this massive spending package that Democrats would like to pass. That is just a simple fact. That is not any political um, hue or tone um, that I am leaning. They just have a very large multi-trillion dollar package that they want to pass, and they are tying that to the infrastructure bill that Republicans would like to pass. So a lot of stuff is happening at the moment, and pretty much we're in gridlock. Congress is going absolutely nowhere. There's a bunch of infighting between both parties, um, and frankly, uh, nothing is going anywhere, and that's why all this fear is building uh, that this debt ceiling won't be increased or they won't take the cap off U.S. debt. Um, so at the end of the day, it is something to pay attention to. Now, debt definitely is not good, but Congress has to decide at this point, do we add more debt or does the U.S default, which is more painful. Um, So it'll be very interesting to see what happens there, but a lot of fear coming out of this whole entire issue that's likely going to be solved as it has many, many years before. We have typically gotten a lot of fears surrounding this debt ceiling issue in the past when Congress can't come to an agreement and the market flips out and then the market, you know, it it eventually um, gets right back into its mojo because Congress finds a solution, uh, and the market moves higher. So that's just something to pay attention to, and that is what I have personally found throughout the years. Now, shifting into the biggest analyst calls, we have Bernstein upgrading Boeing to outperform from market perform today. My, oh my, I am liking this call. Now, full disclaimer, 
and I have to say this, um, Boeing is one of my largest positions. I do own quite a bit of Boeing. Uh, Boeing moved up 6.95 points today. That's 3.18% at the close. Um, and what is Bernstein saying here on this upgrade? Well, they're saying, quote, Boeing has more company-specific issues as it works to raise 737 max rates, return to 787 deliveries, and address program issues in defense. But at the current share price, we believe there is sufficient upside long-term to justify an outperform rating. Um, and Boeing is currently sitting at $226 per share. That's a pretty low valuation on Boeing um, in a company that is on the comeback. You know, if you take a look at a one-year chart of Boeing, this stock at one point was as high as 270. And if you go all the way back before they had all their uh, issues and the crises, multiple crises um, in COVID-19, the stock was trading all the way up at 375 bucks per share. In the long run, this thing is a lot, a lot to recover. Um, Boeing is one of the most well-known companies on planet Earth. I do think the company will recover cover. They're well on the way to that. And that is why it's one of the core holdings within my portfolio. Now, Bank of America reiterated Ford as a buy. And I actually like this call. They went on to say, quote, and despite the tough and volatile macroeconomic backdrop, we continue to believe Ford is just starting to hit a more sustainable inflection in earnings driven by a combination of a favorable product cadence in the critical U.S. and a market and restructuring efforts with this global redesign program. Once again, you have Jim Farley back in there, management, uh, new management over at Ford that has been in there for the past few months. Um, they're doing a pretty darn good job at getting this company back in line. They're getting rid of the negatives of the company and they're bringing in new positives. I like to see every single bit of that, and that's just something to know. Now, Cohen downgraded Lockheed Martin today to market perform from outperforming. Lockheed Martin has been one of those names that has been moving to the downside. I used to hold it as a core position alongside Boeing, and I actually ended up cutting Lockheed Martin a few months ago because the stock was just endlessly moving to the downside, broke some key levels, and uh, despite the company doing quite well, um, the stock is hated, and at the end of the day, you have to take into account sediment. So what in the world? is going on with uh, Lockheed Martin here and what does Cohen think? Why are they downgrading? Well, they said, quote, we're cutting our rating to market perform for the price target of $375 per share and prefer GD um, or NOC, N-O-C. Also, if R&D tax credit amortization isn't changed, Lockheed Martin may face a $2 billion cash flow hit in 2022, well above the level of peers. So basically, they're saying they like the competitors more, more upside in the competitors, um, and they don't really like really some cash flow issues um, that Lockheed Martin is going to be facing in 2022, potentially. Now, shifting into another call um, by Evercore ISI, upgrading Occidental Petroleum, that's Oxy um, for short, O-X-Y, uh, to outperform from inline, saying, quote, we view the stock as an attractive way to play the next leg in the energy upcycle with windfall commodity prices set to flatter free cash generation and the balance sheet over the next two and likely more quarters. So they're saying they like what Occidental Petroleum is doing here, especially with the balance sheet. They like the um, backdrop of the energy sector and a lot of other analysts are liking it too. Major firms are also liking what's coming out of the energy industry. There's been big calls just in the past few days that oil is going to move higher. Um, gas prices are going to move higher. Um, and therefore, you're going to see these oil companies outperform, especially the energy sector generally outperform. And then you add these uh, yields moving to the upside and inflation fears in 
and you're seeing a lot of positive sediment come out of the energy world and Occidental Petroleum is one of those names that's been catching um, some upside on all of that hype. Now, Bank of America reiterated Amazon as a buy. Amazon's one of my favorites. Disclaimer, it's one of my um top positions. I take a look at Amazon stock today and I see that the stock is trading at 3301 bucks per share. So what does Bank of America have to say about the e-commerce leader? They said, quote, we believe Amazon should have potential competitive advantages in smart home AI and robotics stemming from its retail fulfillment and cloud businesses. And we maintain our buy rating. So basically they're saying Amazon's the leader um, or is a leader when it comes to AI and robotics to fulfill fulfillment centers and their technological advancements. Um, then you add on all the fundamentals, great fundamentals, um, supporting Amazon. And really there's just an argument to be made that you should just hold Amazon stock here. In the past six months, it's been pretty darn choppy. I um, mean, right now it's sitting at $3,301 per share. Definitely a name to take a look at. Um, if you take a look at the performance of it in the past three months, it's dropped 4%. Um, and a lot of that has come just in the past few weeks. Now, shifting into Evercore ISI once again, and this is the final call we're going to go over today. Um, they called uh, Chipotle outperform. So they reiterated their outperform rating on Chipotle. I like this. That's ticker symbol CMG. Um, and Chipotle is an excellent company. People continually underestimate them. And the performance of Chipotle stock has been crazy the past few months, up nearly 20%. Um, but what does Evercore have to say about Chipotle? They said, quote, Chipotle's remarkable loyalty program has almost tripled since late 2019, now at 24 million versus 8.5 million in late 2019. This equates to eight thousand loyalty members per store even more than domino's six thousand per location so um definitely a lot of good stuff coming out of chipotle it's a great company to check out a continual grower um and a different type of name compared to all these growth names that people have been all hyped about now shifting into these names that ubs named to counter inflation so as we all know, this inflation issue, especially in the past five days, has been absolutely raging throughout the markets and the markets have been pulling back. We've been seeing yields rise, which we do know is an indication of some inflation fear. And therefore, you've been seeing all these growth names sell off. These great, phenomenal, overpriced growth names have been selling off like crazy. I mean, the crowd strikes of the world just getting nailed. But what has been holding steady? Well, the names that typically do well in these issues. So if you take a look at this note out of UBS um, that came out on Tuesday, they said, quote, we expect the pricing power theme will continue to evolve and play out over the coming quarters. Following periods of elevated inflation, our quantitative screen of strong pricing power stocks has outperformed weak pricing power stocks by 20% in this subsequent uh, 12 months. I apologize for that uh, quick uh, mispronouncement per se. Uh, the upcoming Q3 earnings season could be another important catalyst for this theme with rising input cost and supply chain disruptions, potentially having a more visible impact on earnings results and surprises. So we shift into a few names that UBS believes are solid. And by the way, that was UBS's Keith Parker, an analyst over there. Now, what are some names that they believe will do well in this inflation of in an inflation friendly scenario? We'll put it that way. Um, and they believe names such as Starbucks, Hasbro, Dominion Energy, Generac, Hilton, um, 
Molis, uh, First Hawaiian, Popular Co., um, Keurig, and Keurig Dr. Pepper. Those type names, they believe, are going to do well because they have some more pricing power um, in this inflation environment. So that's just a quick, interesting note, some names that you might want to look at. Um, but these High pricing power names, these value names are where you're going to want to put your money in this inflation scenario. And a lot of analysts, a lot of managers are coming out and saying they're looking at value over growth currently at the moment um, to survive or get some significant gains over the course of the next 12 months. And trust me, if you look at a lot of, if you look at a lot of value names, a lot of them have been beat down dramatically in the previous, I would say six months compared to growth. So that's just something to pay attention to. Now shifting into a call by famed investor, Jeremy Grantham. Now, if you don't know who Jeremy Grantham is, I'm going to give you a quick briefing. He's a British investor. He was the founder um, of CM a firm that as of 2015 had over $118 billion in assets. Now this guy, he called the downturn in 2008. He called the bubble in 2000. Um, and he also is relating our current times to 2000, 2008 and the bubble in 1929. So what does this guy have to say? Well, Jeremy Grantham said in an interview with CNBC on Tuesday, quote, equities is or equities are a magnificent bubble in the U.S. That's right now. He believes equities are in a magnificent bubble here in the United States. He went on to say, this has been crazier by a substantial margin than 1929 and 2000, in my opinion. We've met all of those conditions. So anytime now you can go and the end of a bubble is like killing off a vampire. He also went on to say, you'd have 1929 bubble, 2000, and today. That would be perfect. Three times squeezed into a century. They feel like bubbles, and they tend to last about six years, and you measure them from when they leave the trend until when they get back to trend. So, in essence, he's saying the market is in a massive bubble at the moment. He is saying that the market is very comparable to when bubbles popped in previous decades or years or situations such as 1929, 2000, and 2008. Um, all of those were catalyzed by something. There was something that um, peaked the bubble per se, or popped the bubble. There was an event. There was a catalyst. So the question is, what will be that catalyst? Will it be this inflation issue? Who knows? But at the moment, um, he is saying massive bubble in the United States, and it's going to pop at some point. Now, I don't believe we're in a massive bubble. I disagree. I think, you know, you can look at valuation all you want, but valuation is only one metric out of quite a bit of darn metrics. Um, so, you know, or theories. So, you can't just look at valuation when it comes to the market or an individual company. I mean, say I was looking for, um, I was looking at Google. If I was investing in Google just based on valuation, um, I would have missed it many, many years ago when the company first came out. So frankly, I think the whole valuation argument, if you're basing your bubble argument off of valuation and simply valuation, it's the dumbest argument I've ever heard. I don't want to hear it. I want more than, oh, stock prices are high. I want more than that. Um, that argument to me is not enough. Now to other it might be, um, but at the end of the day, I believe over the past, you know, you're also comparing events from 1929 um, in 2000, and the market has changed every single decade significantly um, over the course of the past 100 years, in my opinion. Um, so you also need to pay attention to um, really what, what and how the market has changed as well. So I respect this argument. The market could very well be in a bubble, but you have to come at it and you have to make an argument 
um, with a lot more than simply saying stock prices are high. Um, and I didn't hear enough, in my opinion, out of Grantham on that front. You know, give more than, yeah, you know, the S&P 500 is trading at a record valuation. Um, yeah, it is. And is a pullback likely? Could a pullback occur? Maybe, um, but don't simply say uh, stock prices are too high because at the end of the day, um, we all know that if you base every decision based on valuation, especially in these markets, you're likely not going to be all too successful. So I'd like to hear a little more of his argument, um, but based on that, I found it very interesting. A note, because he is a very smart man, he has called past bubbles, um, so we should pay attention to it and do some more digging, and that's definitely something to take a look at. Now, shifting into this Disney breakdown here, and we're going to go through Disney pretty darn quick. Now, we all know what Disney does. We all know that Disney is one of the most well-known entertainment companies on planet Earth, um, and they're one of the most historic. They're an icon um, of the entertainment space. They are within media networks, amusement parks, studio entertainment, travel, direct-to-consumer content, and so much more. They operate under a ton of different brands. Um, you know, you take a look, and they operate under, you know, Disneyland Resort, Walt Disney World, Disney Cruise Line, Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, Hulu, Disney Music Group, Marvel Studios, 20th Century Studios, Pixar, ABC Entertainment, FX, and so many more entertainment brands across the entire entertainment industry, not just digital, but the entire entertainment industry. So the company is led by Bob Chapek. He took over for business icon Robert Iger in February of 2020. And unfortunately, I don't believe he's done the best job since taking over, but I do think he's done the best job he can, um, whatever that has to say. So Chapek served as Disney's chairman of parks, experiences, and products since 2018. And then he stepped up to CEO. You take a look at management, um, and they definitely are reliable. What struck me about Disney's management team when digging through it once again is that this team has been together together for years. They've been together for a very, very long time, um, and definitely that is a boat of confidence when your management team has successfully expanded a company um, consistently year on year on year on year, and that team is still together to this day. Um, that tells me a lot about the management team. They are reliable, and I like it. Now, um, Disney was sent to the downside last week after a conference. And what was that conference? Well, it was a Goldman Sachs summit and Chapek noted at the Goldman Sachs summit that investors should expect subscriber count to increase by quote, low single digit millions, disappointing investors who are expecting significant Disney plus growth, the stock all the way down to 172 bucks per share today. Um, and then throughout the conference, Chapek noted that subscriber growth quarter to quarter would not be steady and that the summer reopening created a difficult growth situation for their streaming segment. Now, breaking down their streaming segment, you definitely have to pay attention to the fact that they have Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus. Um, and at the end of the third quarter, all of the subscribers created under those three umbrellas accounted for 173.7 million subscribers. That is a massive digital subscriber count. Furthermore, according to eMarketer and the Morning Console and Adweek, 33% of U.S. households use or have a subscription to Disney Plus, while 31% um, have or use a subscription with Hulu. So very interesting numbers there. Now digging into the numbers, uh, Disney beat third quarter 2021 expectations with an EPS of 80 cents, better than the EPS analyst consensus estimate of 55 cents on a year-over-year basis. Uh, EPS approved by 900%. Now Disney delivered $17.022 billion in Q3 revenue. Um, that's a 45% improvement over the Q3 2020 level. You break down um, their profits and their revenues and really across the board, even segment by segment, you saw improvement. 
improvements. Um, so that is definitely a net positive. If you want the full quarterly breakdown, go to runningwithmoney.com and it is sitting there. Um, actually, you get a quarter by quarter um, breakdown of er- of not earnings, but you get the most recent quarter of earnings and you get a segment by segment breakdown. So something to pay attention to. You know, I look at overall performance of earnings in really almost every segment, not all segments, but almost every segment in metric improved on a year over year basis. There were some cash flow issues. Um, for instance, if we rotate in the company-wide cash flow metrics, um, unfortunately, uh, company-wide cash flows experienced declines. Disney reported $2.934 billion in cash provided by operations in Q3, um, representing a $3.015 billion decline year over year. Lastly, free cash flow totaled $466 million in Q3, um, representing a $2.190 billion decline in free cash flow on a year-over-year basis. So the quarter was not absolutely fantastic, but it definitely wasn't bad. Now to conclude, um, the quarter Disney reported 116 million Disney plus subscribers, 14.9 million ESPN plus subscribers and 42.8 million Hulu subscribers representing 200%, 75% in 21% growth year over year respectfully. Um, now shifting out of all of the nitty gritty earnings metrics, and I'm not going to go through those with Disney, um, on the show today, we've already are reaching a time limit here, but this is 100% free. All of this research is on runningwithmoney.com under the analysis tab. Go check it out right now. And you get all of this information in a breakdown of the entire quarter on a financial basis, 100% completely free in an easy to read format. Now shifting into the balance sheet, they have $55 billion in debt. Um, their total liability is $115 billion, but assets totaled $202.221 billion in cash short-term investments, $16.070 billion. Now on a valuation basis, Disney does trade at a premium. They trade at a price to earnings of around 285 times, a forward price to earnings of 24 times, a price to sales of five times, a price to book of 3.7 times, and a price to free cash flow of 231 times. Meanwhile, a price to earnings growth or a peg of 5.5 times or 5.59 to be exact. And that was as of yesterday, the stock moved down $1.84. So that's just going to be slightly off, but not much at all. Um, So shifting into an out of valuation, which is elevated, but not too far gone for my taste. Management has been effective, but could improve in the years to come with a return on equity of, a, of 1.34%, a return on assets of 1.81% uh, and a return on invested capital of one point zero. 2% um, at management. They could be more effective, but they have been effective um, and they have not done a bad job, but they could improve as always and anything. Now, shifting into the biggest uh, analyst thoughts on this or the analyst price targets on this, um, they currently have a mean price target at $217 per share on this. That's just around 25% upside if it goes to that price target in the next 12 months. Um, the high price target, $263 per share. That's a 50% gain from its current price point. And the low price target is $185 and that's roughly a 6% gain from the current price point. Just something to pay attention to. Now, the big money, they're quite involved. 63.76% of Disney is owned by institutions. Top owners include the Vanguard Group, BlackRock Institutional Trust, and State Street Global Advisors. Now, also, technical breakdown. You can get it, runningwithmoney.com. Under the analysis tab, the technical breakdown of Disney is also included in this article. Go check it out. Exploring investor sentiment. Um, 
or what in the world investors are thinking, to put it more simply. Um, the Bears believe strong streaming competition and a still-spreading COVID-19 virus are reasons to expect future downside in Disney or slowing growth. Meanwhile, the Bulls believe Disney's power um, in streaming or their power streaming trio reopening parks and decelerating COVID-19 spread numbers are reasons to be positive on the name. In short, the Walt Disney Company, ticker symbol DIS, is an entertainment icon that is not only going anywhere, but it also boasts a growing streaming segment, recovering in-person entertainment segment, reliable management team, solid balance sheet, and loyal customer base. That's what I think about Disney. It's a solid company. The balance sheet's solid. The valuation isn't too far gone. Every segment is recovering um, as we go on or as we go forward. It's recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. Management has been effective. Uh, the sentiment on it is mostly positive, um, and the management team is quite reliable, although I would like to see Chipik be a little more upbeat when he comes out and talks about the company instead of just absolutely trashing it, it seems, every time he opens his mouth. I mean, dude, part of being CEO is talking up your company and talking about the positives and not always talking about the negatives. Man, maybe I'm a bit frustrated today going after a few people here on the show, but I mean, come on, what in the world? Um, Either way, thank you for listening to another episode of the Running With The Money podcast. Now, before we leave, I'd like to go through a few opportunities I still see in this market or a few long-term opportunities that you might be able to pounce on. If we take a look at the performance of the market here and we take a look here at a one-week performance, I see a lot of red, the bang names, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and yeah, Microsoft isn't involved in Fang, but it's a Fang equivalent. I feel like they should call it Famang. Either way, Microsoft down nearly 5%. Apple down just over 2%. Google down nearly 5%. We have Amazon here down 2.33%. Facebook down 1.05% over the past five days. And Facebook is absolutely at one point was getting clobbered. You see Snap almost down 10%. NVIDIA down almost 7%. I mean, a lot of fantastic names moving to the downside, presenting opportunities. I see Square down just about 10%. PayPal down just about 5%. So a lot of these growth names presenting opportunity for the long term, but in the short term, they could continue to be ugly. Meanwhile, I see the financials outperforming, energy outperforming, auto manufacturers outperforming, the industrials, especially the railroads or the farm or the farm equipment and heavy construction stuff in the aerospace area, all those sectors outperforming. Meanwhile, you're seeing a lot of selling over there in tech. Shopify, also another one down nearly 10%. So those are all names to pay attention to. Semiconductors absolutely getting nailed um, after micro a significant semiconductor company reported earnings and the results, they weren't the best. So that's something to pay attention to. Either way, thank you for listening to another episode of the Running With The Money podcast. I will be back Friday with another episode of the show, talking the markets, talking everything about the markets, what to buy, what to sell, and what in the world is going on with the market. Easily profit, trade on, and I will see you on Friday.